Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and this is a Slate spoiler special on 10,000 BC. I'm here with Dan Engber, Slate's associate editor, and we just stepped out of a screening of 10,000 BC together. So, Dan, let's quickly summarize the plot of the movie just so people have some idea what's going on, and then we can we can delve into the crazy prehistoric details. Okay, sounds good. So, um, 10,000 BC is essentially what the story of a group of we wished that they were cavemen going in. <laughs> we wanted a caveman movie, but there was not a true Ooga Booga caveman to be found in this movie. Kind of a hunter-gatherer society. Sort of a peaceful, dreadlocked, primitive people. Right. The Rastafarians of 10,000 right. BC, except they live in somewhere that looks sort of like Tibet or Mongolia, right? Some kind of a... More like yep. Tibet, actually, like a mountainous, snowy landscape. Right. But and it's not... They call... It's not snow, it's white rain. White rain. They, right, <laughs> the Valley of the White Rain. And eventually what happens is what? We've got a prophecy that this blue-eyed girl, little girl who appears among the cave people, the hut people, will be the mother of their new race, or she's going to, the, the old days will end and the new days will come with this young girl whose right. character's name is Evelette. She's played by Camilla Bell, who's very sort of WB looking caveman, right? <laughs> A very um, sort of teen caveman girl. So as the movie goes on, eventually she grows up. She falls in love with a young hunter, hero mm-hmm. of the tribe named DeLay, and is eventually kidnapped by, who, how, what would you make of these this other people that comes in and kidnaps her and a bunch of other uh, uh, cave people? Sort of big Viking-like guys on horseback. Right. They're, oh, they, they're um, the four-legged demons, right, which is right. what the cave people call the horses that they ride. So they come in, raid the village, take this girl and a bunch of other people. And then the rest of the movie is about how DeLay, this young hunter guy, leads. he sort of gathers all the, the primitive peoples in the region and leads them on this massive siege of what eventually turns out to be ancient Egypt and the pyramids. But right. we'll get there in a moment. So so basically that's the story, right? The journey of this caveman to save his, his cave woman right. from the clutches of the pharaoh. All right, so you want to take it from there. Like, what are some of the things that strike you walking out of 10,000 BC that had us both giggling all the way here? <laughs> well, first of all, just wondering how they picked the date 10,000 BC and then just crammed in everything they could think of before Rome, basically. Yeah, the movie ends up boiling down to sort of like the greatest hits of caveman days. Every sort of prehistoric <laughs> event, except the invention of the wheel, actually, is never in there anywhere. Or fire. I guess fire is supposed to have already come along. Fire long is before. already done. And but what are, some of the, what are some of the touchstones that we managed to hit on in this one crucial well, nine months of caveman? First existence? horseback riding, I think. And right. then the um, the raiders on horseback also have swords. So right there, you know, the original cavemen with their spears are now outclassed by the metal-wielding raiders. Now, and you, you're Slate's explainer, so I'm going to depend on you for a little bit of timeline fill-in here. Is it possible that those technologies could have coexisted in different cultures? I mean, I know some of this stuff is impossible. The woolly mammoths did not coexist with mm-hmm. any primitive man, right? Woolly mammoths were way, way before there were any, any humans at all. Is no? That, is that right? I'm pretty sure. I okay. mean, they were the Ice Age, right? The woolly mammoths were presumably killed by the Ice Age, right? And wasn't the Ice Age... Wait, I was just madly Googling some of this stuff because it just seems so wrong to me. I think that the, the mammoths were, I don't know, a million years ago, two million years okay. ago. I don't think it was any 10,000 10, BC. 10,000 BC. But well, anyway, so, so we've got some things that are clearly achronological. But mm-hmm. what about the, the different technologies that the cultures in the movie have? One's got spears, one's got... Well, I mean, there are cultures now that have spears. So um, in that sense, I suppose they could have all been coexisting. But it certainly was a little strange that the way that they had these guys come in on horseback with their spears, with their uh, swords and bow and arrow, and then later 
they'll turn out to have boats and compasses and maps, uh, written documents. We were even commenting coming out that it's not quite clear at the end what you're supposed to take away about this movie's attitude toward technology, right? Because right. as long as we're spoiling here, mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the movie, after the, the guy's gotten his true love back and heads back to his own culture, after having been exposed to all these crazy different worlds, including the building of the pyramids and the Sphinx and writing in Egypt and all this, this major technology, boats, all these things that, that he didn't know existed, he just takes this little handful of seeds, this little bag of seeds. So he is going to accept agriculture. That's, that's cool. Right. He's going to take it back to his same old village and sort of start again with their primitive life. And it almost seems as if there's something Luddite about the movie that, that doesn't really trust all these glories that, that they've seen. Right. Well, they ha- seem to have no curiosity whatsoever. I mean, they're quite happy after destroying the pyramids to just go back to their village and uh, resume hunting the snuffleupagus-looking woolly mammoths. <laughs> Well, and verisimilitude aside, that's just not very fun. You know, I mean, if the movie is going to be that campy and that crazy and assume that saber-toothed tigers are leaping into the village and woolly mammoths built the pyramids and they're they're dragging the giant stones up the ramps and everything, then at least there should be some some sort of sense of joy in these new discoveries. And I just felt like... The movie would kind of chicken out. It would start to to get, go somewhere that was kind of campy and fun, like as you were pointing out when Delay, our, our hunter caveman hero, first sees agriculture in action. They're raiding, or it eventually turns into a friendly raid, but they're encountering this African, black African tribe or group for the first time. He sees these little sprigs coming up from the ground, and he's kind of poking around all interested. And then you noticed, I didn't notice this, that he sees a hoe lying there and picks it up and sort of figures it out right, right then <laughs> and there. I would have loved a little bit more of that, them looking at the writing and tracing it with their finger or something, you know, just sort of, mm-hmm. if you're going to make it the caveman's greatest hits, have a little fun. Well, I was thinking about this as we were walking back. You know, this is a Roland Emmerich movie, and the other two movies, um, on all the posters it says, you know, the guy who brought you Independence Day and right. the Day After Tomorrow, which are also movies that sort of hate technology. I mean, Independence Day, they're trying to destroy a race of technologically superior aliens. And in the day after tomorrow, isn't it sort of that's the that's a I didn't see that one, but that's I a didn't global, see either. But yeah, it's a, it's an environmental warming, disaster movie. Yeah, environmental disaster movie. So that's sort of three in a row that where technology is just bringing evil to the world. And that's fascinating. So Emmerich is sort of the filmmaker of Let's Go Back, back right. back to caveman exactly. days. There is some sort of moment in the voiceover narration that starts this movie where I think the the opening monologue ends with something about. And that would be, you know, the the curse that was brought or the promise that was brought by this blue-eyed girl would be the beginning of the end, right? Oh. And in the light of this this Roland Emmerich theory, I mean, that makes a lot of sense that sort of, you know, the end of mankind is the beginning of mankind, right? The the end of the true days is the beginning of technology. Uh Uh-huh. Well, it's sort of uh, funny to think, well, you know, in in Roland Emmerich's version of prehistory, what happens at the end? I mean, was that the end of Egyptian civilization? Well, he's got to have, I mean, maybe he's, he's setting it up for 999,999 BC, because you would assume that in the following years, the pyramids have to be finished somehow. When we leave this movie, and there's been this sort of, what you might think of as sort of like the caveman revolution, like the French Revolution via spear, right? And there's this moment that the pharaoh is actually killed on the steps of, of this Egyptian temple. It's, it's an amazing looking temple, by the way. It looks like some Frank Lloyd Wright building or something, right? right? It's this great imagination of Egyptian architecture. But... The pharaoh gets speared down by Delay, our hero, and then there's sort of this this raid on the temple, and all the um, 
you know, oppressed tribes kind of get together and free themselves. So, but, but meanwhile, the pyramids and the Sphinx are sitting there unfinished with scaffolding all around them. So you assume that something's got to happen in the intervening years for Egyptian civilization to rise again. Then they had to conscript the Jews at some point yeah. to finish the pyramids. <laughs> Yeah, what does happen after the end of the end of this movie? It's a good question. It, may, it would have to be an alternate history, right? We would be a whole different species uh-huh. now if this movie had been true. But somehow, by enslaving everyone, the pharaoh brought everyone together because they had to join together to rise up and, and battle the pharaoh, and that's how agriculture spreads. So it's a very Marxist that's, notion, that's actually. The message, they had yeah. to go through that period of oppression to rise up, as they did by the end. So let's just um, let's briefly finish by talking about this question that you raised also on the walk back from the movie, which I was really interested in, which is the the role of race in this movie. I mean, it's pretty out there, right? It's pretty explicitly laid out that there's this diverse caveman culture, right, right. With, with various racial groups that are all at different levels of development, who are all united under our one guy to go fight the, the pharaohs. And you were trying to place what would sort of be the modern Western equivalent of this racial taxonomy of the movie. Right. Well, I mean, we talked about the pharaoh being killed at the end. And one thing that's so bizarre is that the pharaoh, every time he appears, he's behind draped fabric and there's sort of this mystery who is this one that they're all afraid of they think he's a god and then at the end he's killed and he rolls down the stairs of the of the pyramid and finally that fabric is pulled away and he just sort of looks like an old white guy right and he's the only guy who's clearly a white guy has he is he's the only true caucasian without any sort of at least sort of tan dark tan makeup in the whole movie right so what's that about so you know this is the colonial forest with all the fancy technology that's enslaving everyone i mean that seems like my best guess for what was going on there but it just was so strange and what about the other racial groups in the movie? What do you think of our, our main guys? I think they're called the, what are they called? I'm looking at the notes here, the Angyal or something like that, the, right. the tribe that we start with that the two lovers belong to. They're sort of a, I mean, they would sort of be the equivalent of the white tribe in the sense that they're all sort of, I don't know, like very familiar Hollywood actorly types who are maybe a racial mix, right? They they all sort of have like Jamiroquai hairdos, like <laughs> 90 dread, 90s dreadlocks. They were so, they're sort of Hollywood exotic, though. They reminded me of, of the people cast in Apocalypto or... Which this movie is clearly quoting at moments, right? Some yes, of the human absolutely. sacrifice stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and even the whole premise of one guy following a whole bunch of slaves on... To get his family on back, somewhere, right. Somewhere else. But, you know, even the, the lead actress in New World the Terrence Malick movie. Right. Just these people who I think are often cast as Native Americans. Well, that lead actress actually was Native oh, American. Okay, well. <laughs> Although you're right, she looked she looked more sort of mixed and sort of Hollywood ready, you know. Right, than, exactly. Than... Except for the two main characters in, in the caveman tribe, the, the hero and heroine were both looked sort of whiter than anyone else. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that there's you could easily draw some kind of chart of the the, the whitening of the leads as they get right. closer and closer to the top of the credit list. Yeah, and 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 even the fact that the the prophecy is for the girl with the blue eyes. I mean, she's the only girl with blue eyes. They might have well as well have said, you know, this is the prophecy of the girl with blonde hair. Right. Um, so 
I mean, she she was completely out of place in her tribe and in the rest of the movie. She looked like she could be the daughter of the pharaoh. So in all those ways, the movie has this weird kind of racial agenda. But I mean, at least on the surface, it very much wants to be a sort of, you know, we are the world right. movie about race. And and the, the, the blackest tribe that they encounter, the African tribe, who I, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't cast actual Africans in most of these roles, because even the way they were running, they had a sort of tribal run altogether that, you know, right. it, 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 just, it didn't look like a bunch of Hollywood actors set loose on, on the desert sand. To right. Me. We should talk about the fact that the that the main tribe speaks English, although heavily accented English, and uses no contractions. But then, as is the way with this kind right, of prehistoric exactly. drama, right? But everyone else speaks the same language. That I wondered what language it was. Everyone else is supposed to be speaking the same language. I didn't quite get that. I had the idea that the um, the head of the African tribe was kind of the uh, the intercessor that he knew several languages and was translating back and uh. forth. But maybe you're right. It's never quite clear exactly how they've learned each other's languages. Or, uh-huh. I mean, the movie posits no theory of the origin of language or development of language whatsoever, which would right. be a really great, interesting, fun angle for it to have taken up. Well, another thing that I found disappointing was the fact that these weren't cavemen the way I wanted them to be cavemen. I was expecting people in caves to start with, with clubs, hitting people on the head. Well, I asked you to come and see the movie with me and, and record this this spoiler special on it because I think you share my love for the caveman movie as a genre. Right. And I was sort of hoping it would be one more entry in that Quest for Fire. I mean, Quest for Fire is probably my favorite caveman movie, but Clan of the Cave Bear. And then even the funny ones like, uh-huh. uh, what is it, 10 million B.C. or 1 million B.C. with Raquel Welch, you know, with the fur bikini, even the campy ones. Did you mention Encino Man over email <laughs> when we were discussing this? That's a latter-day entry, as is the Iceman with Timothy Hutton, which is a more serious right. one. But all of them, I mean, I think what I love about all those movies, hokey ones, funny ones, or, you know, actually really well-researched ones like Quest for Fire, is that they share this curiosity about our origins, you know, and they may right. have really stupid theories, but they're really excited about the theories that they're positing. And I just didn't really see this movie out there being kind of fanciful and trying to figure out, hey, what would it be like to see a hoe for the first time and figure exactly. out that it's used for agriculture or, or, or certainly from the language angle, you know, just to sort of have a little bit more ooga-booga inventing yeah. a language. Or, or even the way that people looked, you know, I mean, they don't have to look like the cavemen from the Geico commercials, but the fact that, you know, they all had really well-groomed facial hair, I found sort of bothersome. I mean, the main character has this, like, perfect little goatee, and his friend has a mustache, and then the head of the tribe has this, you know, really nice beard, and it just seemed like, why not give everyone big scraggly beards. Well, there's at least some gesture toward making them look pretty dirty and grubby. Some of their teeth are pretty bad, but of course the romantic leads can't have bad teeth. Right. Let me try to think about the looks. Does anybody look, does anybody have like a low brow or anything? No, they all seem to be no. homo sapiens sapiens pretty much by that point. And, and you know, very delicate featured ones that... Well, Dan, thanks a lot for joining me on this late spoiler special and for sitting through 10,000 B.C., (laughs) which I know felt somewhere through the movie like you've been sitting in it since 10,000 B.C. Would you recommend this movie to anyone? No. No. (laughs) I mean, I'm a stronger person for having watched it, but maybe small children. Which maybe it it was aimed at because it it was so strangely sexless, right? Yeah, but maybe too violent for kids. I don't know. Stomping by mammoth. Stomping by mammoth. A A lot of impaling. But yeah, no no kissing, not even a single kiss on screen. All right, Dan, well, thanks a lot for joining me for the movie and for the Slate spoiler special. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.